Uh, let's get into the Word today. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to preach a sermon. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to call it, but I'm thinking about calling it It's About the Children or the Child Factor. And I'm going to preach it because Sunday after next, we're having Michael King with the Massachusetts Family Institute is going to be here to speak and tell about some of the things that they're doing to help families and parents, especially to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and protect parents' rights to do that. And so I want to, I want to set that up by talking next week about our responsibility our responsibility to the next generation and what we need, how we need to pray and the burden we need to carry. Let's get into the Word today. So we're still talking about the presence of the Lord. Have you enjoyed thinking about and entering in and talking about the presence of the Lord? Amen? Amen. Amen. I have really appreciated it. I feel like the Lord just uh, kind of ordered me to uh, look that direction, and, and, and even myself, recover the joy of the Lord. Uh, Hudson Taylor, a great missionary, kind of birthed the modern missions uh, uh, movement, said, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. How many of you need God to work in your life? I do. I'm going to read two stories the first one is a kind of a lengthy passage. I'm going to try to read, read it, get, get to it. Uh, and I'm not going to talk a lot about that first story. I'm going to talk mostly and build the message around the second story. And they both involve Israel. One involves Joshua. The other is previously involves King David. It says, uh, this is Joshua and the children of Israel who have, who have gone into the promised land and they've, they've marched from Egypt to the promised land. It's, it's like a 40-plus year a journey, and finally they're settled in the promised land, and they're having one victory after the other. And you know, sometimes when, sometimes when life is going well is when we forget God. Sometimes when things are going good for us is, is when we forget to pray, and we forget to enter the presence of God. And this is kind of what we see happening in the story. When the people of Gideon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they reported, they resorted, I meant to say, to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loaded their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patch wineskins. They put on worn-out patch sandals and ragged clothes, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel uh, at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land to ask you to make, peace tre- make a peace treaty with us. The Israelites ply- replied to these Hivites, How do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. They replied, we are your servants. But who are you? Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the Amorite kings of the east of the Jordan River, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey, go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants, please make a treaty with us. So you can see Joshua is questioning this, and Joshua is feeling something, but as we're going to see in a moment, he made a fatal error. We are your servants, please make a treaty with us. So this bread was hot from the ovens when we left our home, but now as you can see, it is dry and moldy. 
These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they're old and split open. And our clothing and sandals are worn out from a very long journey. Now I want you to see the next line. So the Israelites examined their food. They, they did the human side of investigation, but they did not consult the Lord. They did not go into the presence of the Lord. They did not invite the presence of the Lord to uh, uh, affect their decision. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Now, if you read, go over there and read the rest of the story, it, they weren't like folks today who would have just uh, uh, gone back on the word, oh, so what, we made a promise, you lied, we're going to kill you. They kept their promise, and, and they turned the Gibeonites into uh, water carriers and whatever. They turned them into servants. Now, I want to go to another story that tells a very opposite story, and it had a better result. David. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of David, really what's going on in his life. I'm sure everybody in the room knows there's such a guy as King David. Maybe, maybe you don't know that after he killed Goliath, killed Goliath and gave Israel that great victory, and uh, the, one day the women of the community, a group of women in the community are going through the streets of Jerusalem singing, Saul, who was the king, has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands, and Saul, who was a very insecure man, this made him... This made him demonically crazy that someone would give David more praise than him. And so he became David's immortal enemy and began to, began to pursue him. So David has become a fugitive from King Saul, right? And so uh, David is doing everything he can to get by. He goes over and he forms, actually forms an alliance with the Philistines and helps them out in some, some of their battles because he was a great warrior. Uh, so, all that aside, let's read the text. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire. In other words, they had gone off on one of their campaigns, came back to this place called Ziklag where they were hanging out, and um, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam, Ahinoam of the Jezreel and Abigail, the wife of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in, David found strength in the Lord, his God. Then David said, now, now, now you see this picture. I'm sure that David thought, my mother told me I would have days like this. But he was having a day. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. But the first thing we see is David looked to God for strength and for encouragement. Then, then David said to Abiathar, the priest of the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Now, there's a lot there to think about, right, in that passage. But the contrast between the two passages jumps out at us. One is, it's a time in Israel's history when Joshua, in spite of his amazing leadership, in almost every other instance, he stumbles. 
As the story goes, because of Israel's overwhelming dominance in obtaining one military victory after another, the nearby nation of Gibeon creatively came up with a scheme to trick the Israelis into forming a treaty with them. Now, this particular day, Joshua didn't do what he usually did. He did not seek the Lord. He did not inquire of the Lord. He used his own intelligence, which we should use. He used his own deductive reasoning, which we should use. God gave us these faculties to use. But God also gives us, you know, you probably remember there used to be a product that you put in your engine. I don't think it ever did anything, but it was called STP, and it was supposed to boost the power of your engine. STP, the racer's edge. And, uh, well, but the, the, the Holy Spirit really is the STP. It really is the edge that we have in our life. And so, by contrast, David, all this stuff is happening. He's on the run from King Saul. He's trying to take his, he's trying to take his life. And, and so David comes back to this place called Ziklag. And the place, all their, everything they had had been destroyed. His, the wives and children had all been taken away. And the men that were around him were so angry and discouraged. And they immediately blamed it on David. And they talked of stoning him. And... Uh, that, we don't know. I'm not sure why they did that. Uh, but uh, more significantly, David did not reflexively make a decision to pursue the captors. David did not reflexively make a decision to respond to the men that were turning against him. David did not respond merely out of his own emotions. David did not just give his own personal emotional reaction, but David has made his way into the presence of the Lord and he found counsel from the Lord. You see, you see that throughout David's life. David found the presence of the Lord a solution instead of an interruption. And that's what I'm talking about today. Do you see the presence of the Lord as a solution or an interruption? I want to propose to you that the presence of the Lord is a solution not an interruption. Now, you must believe that to some degree, or you wouldn't be in the service this morning. You wouldn't have taken an hour, hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, whatever this means. It's probably getting ready and getting here and everything. It's a couple of, at least a couple of hours that you invest in your life. But I've been a churchgoer for, for 67 years and almost 68 years in a few days. I've been going to church for 68 years, and I know that I can take my body to church and my spirit and my mind can be somewhere else. I know that I can come to this house for many reasons, some good, not some maybe not so good. I can come to this house but never enter the presence of the Lord, never seek the Lord. But I want to encourage you, as you're here today, I want to encourage you to reach for the presence of God. One of the... One of the uh, this, one of the, I think, privileges of my life that I, at times I did not maybe think it was a privilege was being raised in what, uh, what people, what you would call a Pentecostal church. And I know I talk a lot about it, so if you're a, a long-timer here, you've heard me talk about my Pentecostal upbringing. I don't know if you, even if you know what a Pentecostal is, but it's, uh, it's people who are uh, very emotionally uh, engaged when they are in church. Yes. Uh, uh, there we go. That's a, yeah. Um, and a lot of people misunderstand Pentecostalism 
because they think it's about speaking in tongues, because that's the distinctive of a Pentecostal church, is the people speak in tongues. Now, I've been in, I've been in services where hundreds of people would be all be speaking in other tongues all at one time. And actually, it's quite a beautiful sound. It's actually, I, I, was, uh, I was in a meeting, uh, the, the first time I'd experienced it in like 20, 30 years, uh, maybe longer, that I experienced this, I was out in, I was out in Arizona right before the pandemic uh, really, really fully hit. Uh, and I was at an Alpha conference. And a guy got up, and I don't know how he did it. I can't remember what words he said, but he got everyone. There was, a, there was a, probably 1,500 people in this auditorium. And, huh? Yeah, yeah, I remember what the result. But I, I, he, is that what he said? Jay was with me. Uh, and so he got everybody to sing in the spirit, sing in tongues. And I'm telling you, it, it just, just sent chills all over me. It was a beautiful sound. It wasn't inappropriate. It, wasn't, it didn't even feel weird. It was just beautiful thing. So, so Pentecostalism is really not about, though, speaking in tongues. It's about believing that when God's people meet together, God shows up with presence to impact the direction, problems, situations of your life. That's what really Pentecostal theology is. That when we meet together, where two or three are gathered together, I am in the midst. That's Pentecostal theology in a nutshell. And so while, while we're not criticizing, not criticizing anyone else's theology, it's important Whereas in many places, it's all about instruction, teaching, inviting you to make a decision, preach the gospel, the invitation to receive Christ as Savior. Those are really important things, by the way, really important. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that presence is more important than, 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 than truth. Our presence is more important than teaching. I'm not saying that. But don't you just have times in your life... When you just can't handle any more information, you just don't need any more content. You just need God to move on you. That's what this series is about. It's about you coming, not only coming to church, because you can, you can access the presence of God driving down the road in your car. I hope you do. So this is about you learning and my learning that I have this awesome privilege to enter the throne room to enter the throne room of grace, to receive grace to help in time of need. So, but let me explain in the next uh, 20 minutes or so uh, uh, why God's presence is a solution and not... And what, I, no, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to talk about what God's presence is a solution for. And I'm going to have to speed it up because I, I, I took a little too long to get here. Number one, God's presence is a solution to anxiety. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Then tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience. Everybody say experience. experience. Then you will experience God's peace. I want to I learn the Greek words about God's peace. No. How would you like to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand? His peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, anxiety is a manifestation of fear. And as such, it triggers that fight, flight, or freeze response within the human nervous system. 
Some of us become quite aggressive when we're anxious. Some of us run in terror to any conversation or situation we find threatening. Some of us just shut down. We, we fight, we flight, we freeze. People who cannot calm themselves when they're anxious will have great difficulty worshiping. And it hinders our ability to respond in a productive way or an adaptive way to, to, to the situations of life. But David, David, David channeled his anxiety to God and did not allow himself to respond to the threats of the men around him, the horrible tragedy of his life. He did not allow him to respond reflexively with emotion, but he sought the presence of God and he let God dominate his emotion. Anxiety impairs decision making. It, it, it clouds our judgment. It makes us impulsive, reactive, excessively sensitive to perceived threats. It amplifies our emotional reactivity. Anxiety is designed to... It's, it, actually, God gave, it, and God gave us anxiety. It's a gift from God. It's there to narrow our, soak, our focus in situations where there's an immediate threat. Listen, if an armed intruder is headed toward your door and you look out the window and you see a man with a gun and he's wearing a mask and he's coming at your door do not go in your room and seek the presence of the Lord lock the door call 911 that is not a moment to try to have a moment with God if you're, if you're in the path of an own, over, oncoming speeding vehicle do not kneel and pray Move. <laughs> However, generally speaking, the narrow of, our, of this focus interferes with creativity. It interferes with creative solutions. Because some of you, you, you treat everything that happens to you as though it's a wild animal after you. You treat every little situation in life as though it's an oncoming speeding car. You create every, every conflict in your life with another human being as though it's an armed intruder instead of realizing that God has some creative solutions for you if you will go and consult with Him. God will give you a solution that will not hurt the other person so much, will not destroy your relationships, will not destroy your relationships with other church members, will not destroy your relationship with your spouse. God has a, God has a better plan than you can ever think or imagine. I could like to say a lot more about David, but I, I, I see the clock is moving, so I will, I will uh, move on. I will give you one verse here, though, that says, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. That's David's secret. Now, the second thing that God's presence does, that it's a solution to, it is a solution. Now, this is going to sound weird, but God's presence is a solution to time management. Stephen Covey was not a preacher or, or a spiritual leader, really, but he, he did write a good book and a couple of good books. He said, the key is not to prioritize what's in, your, what's in your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. And a person who's wise schedules, a, schedules seeking the presence of God and the power of God and the solutions of God is a priority in their life. Now, this may seem like a very crazy claim to make. After all, it would seem that David's 
David's men had a much better sense of good time management than David did. Because <laughs> they, were, they, were, they wanted something done and nothing done now. And, and while, while David was over there strengthening himself in the presence of the Lord and consulting with Abathar and staring at the, they had, they probably, I think Abathar probably had an ephod that the priest would wear. And on the, on the, on the ephod were these stones and those stones would light up and would give them the, 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 the direction. It was like a green light and a, uh, a green light and a red light, give them direction whether they should go forward with something or not. It would seem logically, of course we're supposed to go chase them. Of, of course. They just burned down our village and they took our wives and children. Everybody knows what we should do. They, they, but, they, but, but David's men, I'm sure that's how they felt. I'm sure that's what they were going on. Uh, what are you going to do? Negotiate a settlement with those creeps? I haven't even mentioned the imagined sufferings of their wives and children that they were imagining right now. Can you just imagine? Having said that, David knew it was time to take a moment to spend time with God. I dare say that every one of us can review our lives and look back on costly messes we got ourselves into because we didn't stop and seek the Lord before we committed to a course of action. Or we committed to a relationship. We had that gut feeling, but we went ahead. Someone said, bad, the bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes the steps. Finally, God's presence is a solution to interpreting reality. Now, this is really important. This is really important because the reason we go without seeking God in our lives is because we think we know how to interpret the circumstances in our lives. We think we know how to interpret the circumstances of our lives. Uh, some of you are familiar with the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, the young lady who many years ago uh, had a diving accident and became paralyzed from the neck down. And her story is incredible. The story of how she has interpreted her life story through God's grace instead of becoming bitter and resentful. And she said this, true wisdom is, finding, is found in trusting God when you can't figure things out. Some of you here right now, you have situations in your life that you can't figure out. Situations with your family, situations with your career, situations with your health that you cannot figure out. I do believe in the miracle working power of God. I do believe God heals. I do believe God delivers. I know that he heals and I know that he delivers. But I also know that God carries us Amen. in times of trial, through those situations. Um, to David's men, there was only one reality in that one, the one that was staring them in the face. But David knew that only God can interpret reality. This idea that only God can interpret reality shaped David's life. No one, not even his own father, considered that David, the shepherd boy, could be the king of Israel. David, his whole life had been about God shaping his reality. Not other people. Not his own circumstances. No one in the Israeli army, nor their commander, nor King Saul, thought they could defeat Goliath and the Philistines. But David didn't let that shape his reality. 
He always let God shape his reality. Some people thought the giant was too big to, to uh, you know, too big to kill and too big to, to, to hit. And David thought he was too big to mess. Because he, he, he saw life through God's reality. D David never even gives even a hint that he's going from Israel's hero and King Saul's personal comforter to being a fugitive running for his life. He interpreted that through the reality of God. He never interpreted that he was running for his life. Oh, God, God doesn't love me. God has failed me. God, I, life is horrible. He never did. In fact, there's this, there's this amazing story where he and his men are hiding in a cave. And Saul comes into the cave. And this, his men are going, this is your chance. It's Saul. He's got him alone. All he's got to do run a sword through him, because Saul has tried to kill him several times. In fact, that's, that was Saul's mission when he came in that cave. His mission was to kill David. And, uh, and his men were saying, and, and, and this, is, this is it. God has put him in your hands. And David walks over to Saul. And Saul, un, unknown to Saul, he sneaks up and he cuts a little piece of his robe off. And that's all he did. And after, after King Saul left the cave, he walks out of the cave and he holds it up. And, 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 and you know what the Bible says? This is an amazing thing. The Bible says David's heart smote him because he had dared to touch God's anointed. That's what, it, that's what it's like to live in the reality, of, in God's reality, instead of your little tiny, puny mind trying to understand everything that God is doing in your life. David said, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, I, I want to I I play a video right now. That, um, a short video. It's just uh, like uh, two minutes. And um, I don't know how many of you... Uh, how many of you have gone to see uh, Sound of Freedom this week? And I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm, I'm definitely going to go. And every, all of you should go. Everybody should go see Sound of Freedom. And it's about child uh, trafficking, child sex trafficking. It's a really important movie that's been made. And I watched uh, Jim Caviezel, who played The Passion of Christ, and Tim Ballard, the man who the story's about. I watched an interview. And this, I'm going to try to set this video up the best I can. Bear with me. I'm going to try to set it up right quick. Tim Ballard uh, is uh, somewhere down in South America, and he's working for Homeland Security, and his job is to ferret out human traffickers from the United States. They've, they've, they've changed the laws so that if someone commits a crime against a child in a foreign country, they can be arrested. So he's, that's his job. And um, uh, he's down in South America, and he, he's... Uh, They've, he's, he's gotten into a ring of uh, sex traffickers, and there's one particular little boy he's saved, and the boy says, can you save my sister? And he gets a call from Homeland Security, we want you to come home. And he's torn. Now, I've got all these kids I can save. I forget just how many kids he ended up saving. I think it was like 125 kids that he ended up saving. He says, all these kids he can save, if I go back, I, I won't save them. If I stay here, I'll lose my job. And he was weeks away from being vested in his retirement. 
His accountant told him, if you lose your job, you will lose about $11 million over your life. 11 to $12 million if you lose your job. So he calls his wife, and he's hoping she will say, get home. You can't, we can't afford, I think he had three children, can't afford for you to lose your job. But his wife did not say that. In fact, she said, if you come home, I'm afraid I will lose my salvation. Now, I'm not saying she would, but that's what she said. I'm afraid I will lose my salvation if you come home. And I want, to, I want you to hear this little exercise she took him through that caused... What, what, what is, what is, what is the, how do we define the presence of the Lord? I could not find a good definition of the presence of the Lord, but, so I've defined it. I'm going to define it for you. The presence of the Lord is emotionally experiencing God's perspective. It's emotionally experiencing God's perspective on heaven and earth. And so his wife took him through the, this little exercise, and I want you to hear from Tim Butler. Make sure to turn the video up, guys, so, the, so everybody can hear because it's very short. All right? Are we, uh, are we, uh, are we have technical difficulties back there? I mean, obviously we are having technical difficulties. But she, she ran me through this exercise. I don't know where she got it, but she, she ran me through this exercise. I don't know where she got it. Maybe it was a download from heaven, but um, she said, do you see the two paths you're, you're going on? Either you go into Columbia and you do this operation, and what does that look like? And, and, and I said, it looks horrifying. It's scary. It's dark. There's, there's cobwebs. I, I, I mean, I was literally imagining this. There's, there's spiders. There's evil things. And she said, what's the other path? And I said, well, the other path is, is, is light. Um, it's, you know, I, I can see at 50, I get to retire. And then I don't have to, you know, I, I'm, I'm paid a federal government salary my whole life and benefits. And that seems secure to me. And I, that seems comfortable. Then she says, close your eyes. And, and, and you're with your maker. You've passed through this life and you're talking to your maker. And he has two questions for you. One, could you have saved the kids? And two, did you do it? That's your interview. And, she's, and, and, and I got, I, it shocked me. I thought, oh, that's going to be a bad interview uh, if I don't have the right answer, if I don't make the right decision here. And then she says, okay, now go back to those two paths. What do you see? And I, I'm telling you, the, the cobwebs and creepy things were now on the path of staying in my federal government comfortable job. I thought, what might I lose? What blessings might not come? And then she said, what do you see down the path of Columbia? And she said, I see, I said, I see warmth. I see, I can't see everything, but that's the path I want. And I think that's what that means is I will give it to God and do the right thing and subject myself like a child. But she no, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to play that video clip again because I'm going to play the longer version of it in sometime in the weeks to come because there's so much truth packed into that little story. But would you like to live your life from God's perspective? It will be the most transforming thing that you will ever do. If you make a decision today that you will move from living your life According to what everybody around you is saying, what the culture is saying, what is popular, what is not popular, 
all about your own comfort all the time, your own reward that you can see, uh, or, or, or live your life from what you discover in the presence of God. The Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. What, what did Tim Ballard discover? What did his wife discover for him? She discovered the pleasure of God. That she discovered the pleasure of God. See, I know this is hard for modern people to understand, but God created the world for his pleasure. God created you for his pleasure. God created me. He didn't create me for my pleasure. He created me for his pleasure. But, th- but there's an interesting paradox. There's an incredible paradox. The, everything about the Christian life is a paradox. And that incredible paradox is when I live for the pleasure of God, it brings me pleasure. And that's the only way I have total joy. Listen, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And a lot of people think, well, that's my joy is my strength. No, your joy is not your strength. His joy is your strength. You, you will have power and strength to live a life that's beyond your imagination if you live for the pleasure of God. Revelation says, for his pleasure, all things were created. And it's, it's really the normal human life. The normal life, the normal human, when a human operates according to the best rules of humanity, it's when they live for the pleasure of God. And where do you learn the pleasure of God? You learn it in his presence. I want us to stand. I want our prayer partners to come and get in place because I know some of you want to come and be prayed for today, so I invite you to get in place. And we're going to do a responsive reading right now, okay? And this is uh, Psalm 73, and you're going to see up there on the board, it says, Pastor, uh, I I know if anybody reads, then you're a pastor. So if you read that part, you're a pastor. So I I would welcome some new pastors on staff here. Uh, We lost one last week, so we, we need another one. You ready? Everybody ready? Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I, am almost, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut through the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain, 
If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. What a difficult task it is. Where did David find out about reality? In the presence of the Lord. If you need prayer for any reason, I want to invite you to come right now. Maybe somebody here, you've decided to cross the line of faith and begin to trust God with your life. Please come down here and be prayed for. Maybe you've got one of those situations that's left you confused and wondering where God is. Maybe you have a situation kind of like David's, maybe not, probably not that serious or severe, but where you've done the right thing, but some things have gone seriously wrong and you need a touch from God get on down here and be prayed for right now uh, the rest of us I tell you what I want us to do I want us to uh, raising hands is a universal sign of surrender anytime you see their hands raised they're either praising something or they're surrendering to something let's put those two symbols together right now and let's all raise our hands and surrender and praise the Lord who knows exactly what's best for us Father Right now, we lift our hands and worship to you. Father, we enter into your presence, God, so we can know reality. We, in, we enter into your presence and we praise you, God, that the world around us is an, is an illusion. It's an illusion. As Tim Ballard discovered, the, 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 the uh, promise of retirement was an illusion that he could have lived in. It was a fantasy that would not have satisfied him and would not, have, would not have brought salvation to the world. But, oh God, he surrendered to you. Now, Lord, I surrender to you. I want to surrender the rest of my life, God. Whatever time you have left for me on this earth, I want to surrender to you. And I want to live in your reality rather than my own thoughts creating, trying to create reality all by myself. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I praise you. Just give him praise today with your own voice, your own words. Give him praise. Just give him praise today. Just give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 Come down and be prayed for. If you have anything going on in your life, you want to be prayed for. The prayer partners are waiting on you. I'm going to give you just a minute, then I'm going to dismiss everybody. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for your attentiveness to God's Word. Don't forget all those beautiful anointed announcements that I made. And, uh, and, and be present wherever you are able to be present. Thank you, God, for this day. May, may we have a blessed day. May we touch somebody else's life. May we enter your presence. And may we carry that presence around with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.